You're listening to the Earmark edition of Laying Down the Law with Billy DeClerc, Esquire. You can earn free NASBA-approved continuing professional education credits for listening to this episode. To get started, download the free Earmark CPE app, register for the course, take a quick quiz, and get your CPE certificate. It's that easy. Learn more at earmarkcpe.com. And now, on to the episode. Warning. Laying Down the Law is a comedy podcast intended to be humorous. Human listener discretion is advised. From the Beyond Unreasonable Doubt Studios, in association with Feitner Productions, it's Laying Down the Law! With your host, Billy DeClerc! Hey, that's me. Yeah, that's right, Billy. That's you. <sighs> Featuring Doug Morency, Jack Mosshammer, Gary Pia, and Pia Smith. Only a madman would dare to bring these people together to build a world of law and order, only to tear it apart with laughter. That madman is attorney Billy DeClerc. The result is a podcast blasted to the farthest reaches of the internet. That podcast is this one and it starts right now welcome to laying down the law the only law and comedy podcast on the internet that offers rainbow sprinkles for free with every episode not available in all areas my first guest today is a returning guest who needs no introduction literally last time we really overdid it his bio was the longest ever heard on this podcast and will not be repeated in full here so Second City, Drowsy Chaperone, Al Gore, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, Young Sheldon, Big Bang Theory, The Middle, Mike and Molly, Conan, Jimmy Kimmel Live, and 50% of the Williamson Playboys, a law and comedy, no, musical comedy duo. He's all that and much, much, much more. He is Doug Morency. Hello, everybody. Next, she's a multiple-time returning guest on this podcast, a brilliant impersonator of our 45th president, a costume designer with five stars on Poshmark. She's a comic, improviser, actor. She's been with the Upright Citizens Brigade, Second City Hollywood, and she can be seen on American Gangster, Trap Queens. Please welcome the multi-hyphenate talent, the hilarious Pia Smith. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for the warm welcome. Wonderful to be back. Next, he's a financial planner and the owner of Mission Street Wealth Financial Planning. But not just that. He's also acted in plays, conducted pit orchestras, sung in rock bands, played the bass in a Beatles tribute band, although he's not a member of the actual Beatles. He served on nonprofit boards, including the Pasadena Tournament of Roses Committee, and he's serving his third term as the elected city treasurer of South Pasadena, California. His motto is, life is too short to live on only one side of your brain, and he is Gary Pia. Hi, I'm the player to be named later. Finally, he's an actor and performer in Toronto for the last 30 years. He's written, taught, and acted with the Second City Toronto, Second City Los Angeles, the Bad Dog Theater Toronto, Theater Sports, Humber College, and he currently teaches sketch writing, musical parody, and improvisation for the Toronto Film School. He's appeared in the improvised soap opera Train 48 and the improvised movie Man of the Year. His motto is, I really love improv. He is Jack Mosshammer. Hey, everybody. Yay. Well, welcome to the show. This is a law and improv podcast. For those of you listening on Earmark for the first time, uh, some of you uh, already know the drill, but what we do is we take interesting legal cases and we have some of the world's greatest improvisers come and get inspired by the law and bring their comedy. Thus, it's a law and comedy podcast. All right. Well, I hope you all enjoy that product and or service, whatever it is. I'm sure it's a great sponsor and um, buy a lot of whatever it is. Today's case is Manning versus Grimsley. This is uh, from the First Circuit, which is a federal appellate court. The year is 1981. This is an action involving the law of Massachusetts. A quick side note here. When you're in federal court, there is you know, federal law and state law. And there are two ways you get into federal court. One is called diversity jurisdiction. And it's not a diversity in the sense that we generally understand it. Diversity means diversity of citizenship, meaning you are two different states. So um, if it's a, 
uh, lawsuit between people who live in Nevada and California or live in Toronto and oh. Los Angeles, then it would be a diversity case. So uh, citizens of a foreign country um, can sue in the courts of the United States and can be sued in the courts of the United States. Um, they can't be sued in the state courts. So that's a little bit of uh, federal constitutional procedural law. Um, so this is a diversity action in which the law that applies is the law of the state of Massachusetts. The plaintiff claims that as a spectator at a baseball game, he was injured by a ball thrown by the pitcher. He sued for battery and negligence to recover damages from the pitcher and his employer. All right, I'm going to pause and I'm going to go back because Gary Pia just joined us. Hello, Gary Pia. Hi, I'm, hey. the, I'm the player to be named later. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to keep this exactly as exactly as it is. You, you, uh, um, we, we, um, we went ahead and got started um, because one thing I am is prompt. I've never been late for a meeting, um, and if you believe that, oh, we're recording on <laughs> April first, by the way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, I've also uh, become a Republican. Um, <laughs> the ice caps are not melting. Um, <laughs> I believe, let's see, um, what else? I believe that um, Donald Trump is the legitimate and rightful president of the United States. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Anyway, um, ladies and gentlemen, those of you who are listening at home, we've been joined by uh, a money man, the man with the plan, Mr. Mission Street Wealth, Gary Pia himself. Thank you, Billy. Oh. It's great to be here. Thanks for coming. So I was making change and that's what delayed me. So sorry about the tardy entrance. It's no problem. Thank it's you. no problem. I like the bank of change. Actually, the bank of change is one of my favorite banks. I used to bank there for years. Basically, if you go in, you know, you can get, you can take a hundred dollar bill and they'll give you 100 ones, um, 25s, um, four, tw uh, five $20 bills, you know, whatever 25, you like. $4 bills. Yes. They can do that. Yeah. Too. 25, $4 bills. Yeah. Oh, those are good. Um, yeah. Whatever you want, and um, you know that's all it's they do sponsor? is just make change. Make the change you want to be. Yeah, exactly. So the the question here is whether uh, there was a there was a trial, and the court said that the defendants um, couldn't be sued for battery. Now, battery is an intentional tort, meaning you hit somebody. Not necessarily with a bat, although this is a baseball case. Battery just means a touching that is not um, consensual. So you can, you know, the, the old law school trope is you could touch somebody with a feather. It's a battery if it's not consensual. It doesn't have to be particularly hard. Here, it was with a baseball thrown by a major league pitcher. So it was probably thrown pretty hard. It's 80 miles an hour. At least, at least, at least if it was the if it was the Baltimore Orioles, it was probably maybe even 85. Um, so um, so the, the date was uh, September 16th, 1975, in a professional baseball game at Fenway Park in Boston between the defendant, the Baltimore Baseball Club, Inc., also known as the Baltimore Orioles and the Boston Red Sox. The defendant, Ross Grimsley, was a pitcher employed by the Baltimore Club. Some spectators, including the plaintiff, were seated behind a wire mesh fence in bleachers located in right field. Grimsley, who was uh, warming up during the first three innings of the game, had been warming up throwing a ball on the pitcher's mound on the plate to a bullpen located near those right field bleachers. The spectators had continuously heckled Grimsley. On several occasions following the heckling, Grimsley looked at the hecklers, not just into the stands. He looked directly at the hecklers, apparently uh, Manning being one of the hecklers. Um, at the end of the third inning of the game, Grimsley, after his catcher had left the catching position and was walking over to the bench, faced the bleachers and wound up or stretched as though to pitch in the direction of the plate toward which he had been throwing the ball. But the ball traveled from his hand at more than 80 miles an hour at an angle of 90 degrees from the path from the pitcher's mound to the plate and directly to the hecklers in the bleachers. 
it went through the wire mesh fence and it <gasps> hit the plaintiff. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so he got beaned. <laughs> the court of appeal said, we, unlike the district judge, we believe that he was an expert and he looked at the hecklers and he threw the, the ball directly at them. So we believe he intended to throw the ball at them. He intended to cause them the fear of being hit and to respond to the conduct because it was affecting his ability to warm up for the game. So this evidence was enough to conclude that he was guilty of a battery. Guilty! Guilty, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, liable. But that's not the reason why we're reading this case. We don't really, really care about Grimsley and throwing the ball at the hecklers because this is a business law episode intended for continuing education for CPAs on the Earmark app, thanks to my good friend, Blake Oliver, who is hosting us on this app. We need to, in order for the accountants to get one hour of continuing education credits, we need 36.2 minutes of genuine legal content in a business law field. Battery, being a tort or a harm, is not necessarily business law. What is business law is the question of whether the Baltimore Orioles are liable for this intentional tort of their pitcher. Now, that's a question that CPAs could encounter in their line of work in a lot of different ways. I don't know how many times I've been balancing the books of my client, and they come to me and they say, can we be liable for uh, this intentional tort of our employee? And I say, well, the answer is it depends. And everything after it depends costs you $500 an hour. <laughs> how many hours? It depends. <laughs> <laughs> oh, cha-ching. Another, that just costs us $500. Another, another <laughs> month. Ask right. again. Ask again. Let's go for a thousand. <laughs> Here, the Court of Appeal, the First Circuit, was asked to decide whether the judge had properly dismissed the case as against the Baltimore Orioles. The case had been dismissed as to the pitcher in the Baltimore Orioles because the trial judge had believed that it wasn't a battery. But the secondary reason is that there's a concept called vicarious liability or respondeat superior, which is Latin for the boss is responsible. And when an employee commits an act within the scope of his or her employment, then the employer can be responsible, financially responsible to the plaintiff for the injuries or harms. So for example, let's say you're a professional driver and you run over somebody in a crosswalk while you are doing that professional driving, then your employer could be responsible for the, the damages to the person who got run over in the crosswalk because you're in the scope of employment, you're a professional driver. So the question here is whether the Orioles could be responsible for the financial harm caused by Grimsley when he threw the ball at Manning or whether that was outside the scope of employment. So far, do you have any questions? They're very quiet. Oh my God, tons. Okay, well, let's stop yeah. for questions because um, you are so polite. Usually I get interrupted. Well, I know, right? We're oh, all you're being so polite. And yeah, I, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm I like, think it's because it's so, it's so very technical and it feels almost kind of straightforward. But my mm -hmm. question is, okay, you, you keep using this term can be. Well, you know, he can be, can you be responsible? And I'm, I'm thinking, well, of course you can be. Mm -hmm. So, and then of course, here comes the depends and the hours of, of billing for you, right. King. But I guess I'm kind of like, in every job I've had, there are like codes of conduct where it's like, if I do certain things, I'm fired. So I'm just like, isn't throwing intentionally throwing a ball and harming someone, isn't that just like, how is that their responsibility when I'm sure? he's not allowed to do that well as we know i mean that, that's a good Ooh. question the the, the players contracts are heavily that's negotiated question, but it's not a baseball question pitchers have been throwing baseballs at other humans since they started oh, really? playing the game okay see i didn't know about that the brushback pitch the chin music oh that's, that's all part of the ah. baseball but i guess you could say in that uh, the players involved have agreed that that's part of the game. These hecklers in the stands have not 
you know, never experienced that before, right? Just yeah, unusual. Are, I'm wondering about the Red Sox liability for having a faulty fence surrounding the bullpen. <laughs> now you think like a plaintiff's lawyer. That's what I'm saying. You think like a plaintiff's lawyer. There's a lot of people you could see. There, there are a whole host everybody of- know, Everybody knows that Jason Grimsley couldn't hit water if he threw it out of baseball out of a canoe. <laughs> okay. <laughs> wow, it sounds like you were maybe sitting in the in stands of Fenway Park once or twice. <laughs> I, I'm not no. familiar with the. I'm not familiar with Grimsley as a player. Seeing as how I pay no attention that, to baseball whatsoever. That, that yeah, I know nothing. You to know about I was going to say. <laughs> I know nothing of this thing you call baseball. That's my baseball. question. What is? Could you explain the rules? What is this baseball? I am Canadian. If it is not on ice, I do not understand. If there's no okay, well, baseball is like this. Imagine that in that the that the sticks, the hockey sticks, are straight. They don't have a bend. And instead of ice, Whoa. there's grass. Okay. And instead of a puck, there's a ball. And 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 don't they have like penalty shots in in you know where there's a okay so so yep. if, so it's like a penalty shot and the but the goalie is supposed to hit the penalty shot as far as he can down the ice which we call grass in, in, oh in the ice. it's, it's like not lacrosse it oh you know what it is it is not like lacrosse at all <laughs> it's not, nothing like lacrosse although the ball's approximately the same size and some of the letters are similar when you spell it yeah there's a, there's an l in in both let's complicate it further baseball doesn't have a clock who knows when it can oh. go in really see that is something i didn't legitimately know about. baseball really can just go on forever it has no clock you play the game until somebody wins this is so informative. Wow. <laughs> you know, I, I kind of have to sort of agree with Gary a little bit. I think the fence is pivotal here. Um, it's a faulty fence. Mm -hmm. um, and and um, uh, the pitcher must have thought that the ball was going to hit the fence and Would that stop be the it. the stadium that's liable? Yeah, I think it's the fence manufacturer. Why weren't they brought into it? You know, well, it's not the it's, manufacturer. The manufacturer is going to manufacture the fence as as requested or required, right? So if they didn't request a fence that would, right, right, right. Like, Unless they're like, using substandard materials, right? Like if I'm Manning's up. lawyer, I'm going to be looking at I'm going to be looking at the Red Sox. I'm going to be looking at their upper management, problems. their maintenance crews, the products that they use to design the uh, bullpen fence because it's completely expected. Um, if I'm, if I'm the Grimsley, ball manufacturer, the ball, <laughs> yes. yeah, it's just, they make these baseballs too hard these days. Just yeah. go right through wire mesh fences. I think we need to go after Budweiser because that fan was liquored up and mm -hmm. didn't know what he was saying. Harassing a major league baseball oh. pitcher. Those people have feelings. No. The bartender well, who served him the drinks. <laughs> Well, here's another thing. I mean, it was on the first three innings of the ball game. I mean, he was only kidding. We're talking about Boston fans, Billy. Yeah, I mean, but this is the third inning. After the third inning. Oh, my inning. God. Okay, wait. Hold on. Are the cameras in the parking lot working? Because wasn't he getting liquor? Wasn't he pre-gaming? He had wasn't to he, What's that thing called when you let the – when tail? Well, he was tailgating. Mm -hmm. And he came into the stadium inebriated. So it's not anyone's fault but his. There's no and, baseball. Yeah, exactly. And did he make fun of the fun of the pitcher's wife's appearance? That might have been it. He might have made fun of the pitcher's wife's appearance. I'm quite and sure so that happened. He's talking about his mother. Yeah. Um, yeah. The other thing too, you know, that I'm interested in is that there's usually, you know, on the back of a ticket, or I mean, these days it's you know you get your ticket online. It's a you know, waiver of liability, assumption of risk that, you know, you walk into a ballpark and if you get, you know, you assume you might get hit by a baseball. And I think what, what actually takes it outside of that is that it's in intentionally throwing the ball at a spectator might take you out of the assumption of risk because it's not, because again, it's not negligence that we're talking about. It's um, an intentional tort, intentional battery being intentional, like, Grimsley intended to hit this guy. Um, Could have been and... just a really good curveball. Yeah, exactly. He was aiming at the plate, and it just 
went 90 degrees the other direction. Yeah, I, mean, I think one of the interesting uh, facts, too, is the fact that he sort of pretended like he was going to throw a pitch after the catcher had left. And then, you know, a lot of people might say that's just typical Oriole pitching. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 I don't know anything about baseball, but that's funny. Yeah. Okay, hold on. How about this, though? He was reacting. It was an emotional response to their intentional infliction of emotional distress. Yeah, he man. was being heckled. Mm-hmm. So Snapped. interesting. Yeah. So I think they all should have just got counseling. Mm hmm. Well, here's an interesting thing about intentional infliction of emotional distress is that it is typically required um, under most states law that there be a physical injury in order to get liability for intentional infliction of emotional distress. Because you can imagine why if everybody who got their feelings hurt could file a lawsuit because they had emotional distress inflicted upon them, the courts would be even more backed up than they are. So we think we were already there. Yeah, we're already there, but we'd be 10 times there if you could sue for hurt feelings. Um, So you only get to sue for hurt feelings if you have hurt body. Although, again, as I said, a battery could just be, you know, the lightest touch in the world. So I I would have I'm not sure that he sued for intentional infliction of emotional distress. But if he was a California plaintiff, he would most certainly have said battery plus I.I.E.D. I-I-E-D, intentional infliction of emotional distress. Billy, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't it like um, uh, a number of different people are named in lawsuits just in case the first person didn't have enough liability to cover the amount of money that you're going after? So you keep going Mm -hmm. after sort of uh, bigger and bigger entities to make sure that you get your cash reward? Well, that's directly on the nose of one of the underlying policy issues in this case, right? Is that Grimsley may not have had that much money, but the Baltimore Ball Club had plenty, plus probably had a lot of insurance. And so if Manning wants to get, or Manning's lawyer, wants to get a maximum recovery, you're going to want maximum number of defendants. And so Grimsley may have, um, you know, given his uh, career was probably over by 1981. This happened in 1975. Uh, he may not have had that much money, and, you know, professional ball players are not known for their thrift and prudence it's very possible that he he didn't have a lot of money and so the plaintiff really needed the ball club to be a, um to be a defendant because they would be the deeper pockets so so it's a practical matter yes when you're the plaintiff you typically want plenty of defendants for the economic reason you want one defendant who is going to be um viable and if both are liable you need one that's viable um, and the other reason is that they might not all be liable. So, um, you know, if he had just sued the club and not the pitcher, he may not have had liability. Um, but this, but so suing the, getting the employer in there gives you multiple avenues of recovery. So what did, what was it, what were his injuries? Where, where did he get it? Where did he get? Well, I like to tell my all my guests who always want to know what actually happened and how bad was somebody hurt that we're lawyers, so we don't really care how bad you got hurt. <laughs> it's not the legal doctrine that's at issue here. We can assume it's we can assume it's serious oh enough that God. he was able to find a lawyer to yeah. sue for him, probably on a contingency. Um, but we just I mean, not necessarily. I w- I would sue even if you know. It just knocked a couple of braids out of my head. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I mean, you you have then you have more money than most people, because um, you know, uh, as I mentioned, lawyers are not oh, cheap. Oh right, right, right. So um, you know, they don't take lawyers don't take cases on contingency unless you have, um, you know, liability is basically assured, the damages are significant, and the defendant is able to pay. Those are the. I often tell we my really clients. We really don't know. We really don't know what his injuries were. I get. I know. I mean, I really don't. Are, I really curious. don't know because it's not in the textbook, and it may have been in the case. The textbook is usually abridged somewhat, but the the truthful answer is that we don't care. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> <Because> yeah. <laughs> we we don't we don't know. I mean, presumably it was it was it was bad enough, but um, but you know, yeah. in this case. Maybe- there could be a pretty significant in, um, emotional distress injuries. 
um, that he was fearful of the ball coming to hit him and that um, fear, he was traumatized, could never go to a ball game again. Um, How much fear could he have? The ball's moving fast. He didn't have that long to think about it. Well, even a short period of extreme terror can be, you know, Jack had his hand up. And so, oh, yeah, I want to know if he was a fan of the Orioles and he was angry at their pitching choices or was he from the other team that was playing that day and he was purposely there trying to uh, psych him out? The implication of the case. Let's see. Spectators. Because usually do you sit above the... Is, is it a sign seat? I, I think they were, yeah, I think they were, I think they were Red Sox fans. That's the impression that I got from the case. Although it doesn't oh, specifically so he hated say. His own. Yeah. Maybe he just wanted his attention, mm-hmm. his love and something from him. Exactly. So, so is that like a, a misguided crush thing going on here? Yeah. He was trying to nag him. <laughs> He's trying to like make him feel bad so he could pick him up later. All right. So the, the court looks, um, um, again, I'm, as I mentioned, I'm contractually obligated to provide 36.2 minutes of actual legal content. And I'm not sure if the preceding 10 did constitute actual legal content or not. I have no idea. I think so. <laughs> but I, I really, think with liable versus viable, liable that, that, versus that, that's got to yeah. be 10 minutes worth right there. Yeah, that's pretty good. That's not fit, you cannot commit. We can hope we go into extra innings, Billy. Exactly. Well, you got the, like I said, there are the three strikes of plaintiff's law. Liability. It has to be a slam dunk. Damages have to be big enough that taking a fraction of them is worth your time, and the defendant has got to be able to pay. You don't have all three, then uh, it's a strikeout, or mm. it's not oh. a strikeout, or it's a mixed metaphor. I have no idea. <laughs> what was what was the Harry Potter spell you said earlier? The uh, ipso facto. Oh, I said I think I, I think I said a, vicar- a vicarious liability or respondeat superior. Oh, responding at superior. superior. That, yeah. Responding at superior. Right oh, I think that's a little. Fling, a pile of money pops up. I actually <laughs> think that's a, we should make a little, all make a little mental note of that. That's a good one. Under Massachusetts law, if you want to sue an employer for damages caused by an employee, it has to be shown that the employee's assault was in response to plaintiff's conduct that was interfering with the employee's ability to perform his duties. So it has to be an interference that's in the form of an affirmative attempt to prevent an employee from carrying out his assignments. This is from a case called Miller versus Federated Department Stores. I don't know what kind of interference led to an assault within a Federated Department Store. Um, and that case isn't covered here. And I don't know what kind of harm or injuries were in that case. The important thing is that the interference in order for the intentional tort to be the fault of the employer, the employee must have been trying to do their job and whoever was interfering with it was uh, interfering with the job. So the question is, so, so the Orioles basically say, look, if you interpret the case of Miller, the heckling was annoying or insulting to Grimsley, but it wasn't conduct, quote unquote conduct, that did not, quote unquote, presently interfere with Grimsley's ability to perform his duties. So therefore, they were not liable. That's their argument. Is that, is that he, he may have been annoyed by the heckling, but it didn't interfere with his ability to do the job of a pitcher. Right, because this is the first time it's ever happened in the history of Major League Baseball that fans have heckled a pitcher. (laughs) That's not my problem. I'm stunned to hear that there was heckling going on. Wait, maybe Americans are so violent. I mean, this could have been the cruelest heckling that ever took place in public. I mean, we don't. Hey, this could have been traumatic for him. It's quite true. I mean, the Manning family is well known for their acid tongue in their ability to really get under the skin of professional athletes. It's been a long lineage going back to the jousting in the Middle Ages. You know, Manning was just, you know, standing at the sidelines as Sir Lancelot. You call that a lance? (laughs) Exactly. Um, Yeah. 
Oh, and did you? Oh, and did you want to know what happened in in Miller? Yeah. Oh, here's what oh, happened yeah. in Miller. All right, so a porter whose job it was to clean the floors and empty the trash cans in the Feline's basement store slapped a customer who had annoyed or insulted him, which said, he said, the customer said, if you would say, excuse me, people would get out of your way. So this very timely. Yeah, the Supreme, uh, the Massachusetts yeah. Supreme Judicial Court said the employee may have been annoyed by the remark, but that didn't justify imposition of liability on the store. I don't know. That sounds like the person was standing there and the guy was like trying to sweep around him or something. And the Very customer true. purposely stood in his way. Yeah. Because he said, think, if you just I, say, excuse me, I'd move. I think the customer's right, though. Clear. I mean, you know, somebody says, excuse me, I move. They don't say, excuse me. How do I know what they're what they're trying to do? Yeah, exactly. I mean, and this is the this is the seventies, folks. This is nineteen seventy-three. I mean, the trash can and the big broom in his hand made it kind of unclear. I don't, you know, what how do I know? Right, exactly. It's Halloween. The bottom line is, you're allowed to sass people in Massachusetts in the seventies. That's the bottom line. <laughs> legally, you're legally allowed to sass people, and then when you get, you know, when you. Uh, you know, get slapped, you can, you can sue the person who slapped you, but you can't sue the department store. <laughs> and let's just, it was also Filene's, which come on, mm -hmm. falls in there on the daily. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Everybody knows Filene's is just, it's just a wasteland right. of. The, have you seen the prices? They're worth fighting for. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. The Filene's revival commercial. <laughs> exactly. So, so Miller's Miller's case, the case, the Miller case, uh, Miller against Federated, um, says that you know a critical comment by a customer to an employee uh, wasn't conduct. So, constantly that didn't that would interfere with the performance of work, but the court says that's distinguishable. Meaning, we can tell the difference, and we're going to go a different way. That's distinguishable. Constant heckling by fans at a baseball park would be conduct. And so therefore, the jury could have found that that conduct had the purpose to rattle or rattle the or had the, uh, the purpose to rattle or the effect of rattling the employee. So he couldn't perform his duties of pitching the ball successfully. So they could have found that the that Grimsley's assault wasn't just retaliation but it was a response to the continuing conduct that was presently interfering with his ability to pitch in the game if he was called upon to play. Remember, he hadn't been called in. He was just warming up. Oh. So, right. so the end result is that the battery count against the Baltimore Orioles should have been submitted to the jury. And so it gets sent by the Court of Appeal back down to the district court and in order for the jury to consider whether or not the Orioles would be liable for Grimsley throwing the ball at Manning. There you have it. Yeah. There was an issue that Baltimore had to defend themselves over in a court of law. Well, they had to convince the jury. So, you know, the, the, the whole judge and jury strategy, right? You, if you can get it thrown out on the law, it goes to the judge. But if it's going to be the facts, then it's got to go to the jury. Okay. Didn't know. Okay. You know, in a trial, the the judge is the one who determines what the law is and how the law applies. Um, they have a limited role with respect to what the facts are. But if there are disputed issues of fact, then those are the province of the jury generally. So um, questions about whether or not something was reasonable is a factual question under the circumstances. And, you know, does that does that is that what we think is reasonable conduct? That's the role of the jury. The judge is supposed to instruct the jury on what the law is. Um, but not take the place of the jury to determine how to apply the law to the facts. And so that's why you have burdens of proof and things like that. Can you prove the facts to meet these tests? Like a tort like battery has factual elements you have to prove in order to get a result. So it's like a recipe to make pumpkin pie. You need, you need the pumpkin, you need the sugar, you need the uh, milk, you need the nutmeg. And if you don't have all those ingredients, you don't have pumpkin pie. And so the jury's job is to determine whether they made the pumpkin pie or not. 
the judge's job is to tell you, you need to what have these ingredients the to have pumpkin pie. Got it. Oh, wow. Now I want pumpkin pie. Totally. I want pumpkin pie made by a judge. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and decided by a jury yes <laughs> that is a pie exactly <laughs> and pumpkin at that pia what are your uh, questions i mean i get i know we're only talking about this one specific case but mm -hmm. surely this has happened many times since this incident do we is this is there is there now a law on the court pardon or before i would i'm yeah, surprised yeah. the 90s was it the 80s this happened and the case was the incident was in 1975 this case was in 1981 it took six years to get here must have been people throwing bottles before that yeah even in little league i mean this has got to happen at every at least one in every 10 ball games i think that's an interesting side note it's um i think this may have influenced what you put on the back of a ticket stub you know i would just add not only might you be hit by a fly ball or slip on, you know, a wet floor, but you might also be if, you know, might actually just have someone intentionally throw a ball at you um, because you're irritating. Um, you know, I just put just put that. That's the, the irritation disclaimer. Thank God for digital tickets. There's much more room in order to put these. Displays. Oh, my God. Go on for hours. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, and they were long before, but COVID made them like 10 times as long. I can't <laughs> find my sheet. I don't have enough bandwidth. Uh, you know. Yeah. And you have to, now you, you know, now they have these COVID waivers. You have to sign like, I agree. I could get a deadly virus, but I want to see, you know, I want to see James Taylor. So. Who cares? You, you deserve a deadly virus. <laughs> and then, Where's the hatred for James Taylor? Oh my God. You're rock and roll. I, mean, <laughs> I didn't even know he played baseball. That's right. He can't go to his right anymore. Don't. Oh God. And then I'm so, I'm so curious. Uh, back to the, was it the Miller case in Filene's uh -huh. where yeah. the customer was slapped by the yep. janitor? Mm -hmm. Um. Do we, and I, I know, again, the answer is we don't care, but just if there are any notes about how serious the injury was, or is, was it just the humiliation of the slap? Or I, I, think, I think it's probably fair to say that the slap didn't cause any permanent injury. So you would, that would be a case where the, um, the um, emotional distress damages would have been driving the case. You know, this is I was, very impressive. I was so shocked. It is. It is relevant. And we're recording this on April 1st, 2022. And absolutely nothing has happened involving a famous snap, <laughs> slap, famous slap in the last few weeks. And I'm sure that by the time we release this podcast, um, which could be weeks or months from now, um, depending on how long it takes us to edit and fill in the filibusters, um, that, that nobody will remember. Nobody will remember any particularly culturally interesting or or provocative events around a slap. Nothing happened. Nothing, Nothing happened. We don't even know or care about it. Nothing to hear here. I mean, the thing is, like, you know, I, I feel like there's been every single possible take on that whole thing. Like... um I'm exhausted by it's, it. I'm, I'm just, I'm just, yeah, it's just like, but I'm going to go ahead and throw in one more take. This is my take. There we go. Here we go. <laughs> there we go. Here's Bring my it. take. Everybody needs to take But here's the thing. The, the Oscars are fundamentally a totally contrived thing. It's, it's, it's people who make fake stuff, making fake awards to give to one another. It's a hundred percent inauthentic, staged, scripted, planned, and canned. So anytime anything happens when it's canned, it's like, oh my God, something happened that was organic and authentic and real. And oh my God, like somebody had a real emotion. That's what I think is interesting is that it's like, it was actually real emotion between people. And it's like, people are so shocked by actual real emotion and real, you know, people reacting to stuff and, and letting things affect them and getting upset and, People are messy and make mistakes, and it's interesting to us. It's just like the the seventh grade thing, you know. Two people like suddenly get into an argument, and then everyone's circling around, going, "Fight! Fight! 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 Fight!" You know, that's basically. 
all of America is like doing that right now. Like, oh, it's a fight. I have to pick a side. Like, how about no? But so in that case, is the Academy uh, liable for what happened that day? If the Baltimore Orioles mm. are liable, are the is the Academy liable? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Uh, there could be some waivers involved. I have no idea. There's probably some contracts involved. I'd like to see the back of that ticket. Mm-hmm. It's a, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. I can't tell you how many people have said that about the Academy Awards. I'd like to see the back of that ticket. Um, yeah. So that's a bad take. That's my bad take. My bad take is that it's bad and all the takes are bad. And there's no, and there's a hell of a lot more important things that we need to be thinking about. And that's probably why everyone's so interested because important things are hard and hard things are boring. But I think you're, you you know, you make a point too with the sort of organic nature of it. It's a a real truthful moment in a uh, evening, a parade of contrived moments. And it's just like, it's amazing, right? That this actually happened in that show, right? And I I think that's part of it. I have never heard in my entire podcasting career a better transition between the law and the improv. (laughs) Because I've just just presented to you a parade of contrived moments and now we're ready for something (laughs) real and organic. How about it? All right. Are you ready to contrive? We're going to stipulate that Gary is, he knows how to improvise with your money and he's free to, (laughs) and he's free to jump into the improv. But if Gary prefers to be a bystander and just laugh, he can do that too. Uh, I can do it, McMahon. (laughs) I, uh, um, Harriet, um, uh, I'm really impressed with the, the, the wand that you got. It's really it's really neat. I never saw one that was made of birch before. Uh, well, you know, um, I just found a stick in the park and it looked special. Uh, and I thought, what if I whittle it a little bit? And as I whittled it, I, um, I started to be able to, um, well, I noticed I started having special powers. That's, that's amazing. I mean, the other day, when you ch- uh, ch- turn Mr. Jones into a frog, that was totally epic. Well, well I, uh, it wasn't just entirely me. I think this, I whittled this birch stick in such a way that it is now starting to control my magic. The birch stick controls me. Whoa. Does that explains, that explains why you have been absent so many times. Yeah, I've been trying to get here, and then I just keep ending up someplace else. Right, right. Like I, I thought you completely made up. You know, when you were saying in the, um, in the, um, when we were doing our reports mm-hmm. about what we did over the summer, I thought you made up the whole thing about uh, spending three weeks in a Caribbean jail cell. But uh, I'm guessing it was true. Yeah. I- I was on the way there. I just did a casual flip of my wand and boom, I was in a jail cell and mostly naked. (laughs) So, Harry Potter, I have caught up to you at last. (laughs) Uh, uh, Boof. What? What what is this, a a legal tort? (laughs) Yes. Uh, I, 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 I was trying to make you disappear, but obviously I just served you some, with some legal papers. <laughs> yes. This wand so, has a mind of its own. Your muggle side is coming out, is it? Your father was a magician, but your mother was a lawyer. Oh. Well, you won't be able to combine that to stop my magics. You are the boy who lived, but now you die. Come back with my birch wand! Oh, uh, <laughs> Harry Potter, don't let this happen! Oh, sorry, I was hiding behind a tree. Um, and I'm, um, Maximilius Locatoros. Well, oh, but oh, Mac- oh, I've got handcuffs on. What? What is? What is? What? And Miranda right in my hands? What is this? Papa John Maximus. 
What? I, I can feel my savings have been retracted. What? It's a legal right saying cease and desist for using the intellectual property of J.K. Rowling? What? What? This isn't a want of magic, it's a want of legalities. <laughs> Well, it won't stop me. Brah! Perhaps you could use your legalese against the dragon. Come forth, dragon! Oh! 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 Oh, there's two dragons! Oh! That's right. I have oh! a backup just in case. Huh. If only I could get my hand on that wand, I might be able to do something. Not quite sure what, but something. Well, Harry, I'll try to grab it for you, but unfortunately, I'm busy wrestling this dragon over here. Oh, my God. Oh, oh the, the dragon is eating you. Oh, my oh, God, this is terrible. No, no, Somebody... I must taste delicious. Oh, no. I don't want to be eaten alive. Here's a rock. I'm going to throw it at the dragon. Oh, it left ah, my hands ah, in a knob tooth angle. Ah, ah, oh my goodness. <laughs> Did someone get hurt? I just got out of law school, but I'm here to represent you. I, 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 I def de definitely need a lawyer. I was, I was in the park and I was admiring Harry, Harry's, um, uh. And his, you're hurt, right? Um, I'm bleeding from many places. My stomach, my arm, my face. I'm very bloody. <laughs> and I was attacking a dragon. So I got three questions for you. Uh, do you have money? Can no. Can you afford me? Not at all. Okay, then I'm going to do a quick little disappearing act. And I'm going to wish you the best in your healing. Uh, let me call you an Uber, but it's going to be on your own account. Thank you. You're going to be okay. Let me know if you have any friends who have injuries who would need my representation. Thank you, lawyer magician, I think. Uh, uh, I'm very, very You're ill gonna right now. You're going to be fine! You may have won this time. I can't remember your name, evil doer, but we'll be back one day. It was Manning! <laughs> Uh, members of the Baltimore Oriole Board of um, Directors, please just take a seat where the meeting is going to start. Um, we're, starting, we're starting to see that the Baltimore Orioles um, uh, nickname doesn't have the same sort of marketability as it once did. And uh, we're going to want to change its name to something more relevant and something uh, that sums us up more uh, clearly. To the public, I was well, thinking. Really the Orioles? How can we do that? Uh, could we be the Baltimore Antifa? <sighs> how, how about the Baltimore Orioles? I've always thought it's a it's a lateral shift. Um, I, I think <laughs> that uh, you know, if we start to think about the, the 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 ramifications of that name and how it's going to play with certain de demographics, I think that we have to pick something that is even a bit more neutral. Which um, demographics are you talking about? Um, well, we want to uh, appeal to the widest uh, mass of people that we can in the United States. And in this current bipartisan sort of mindset that is happening here, we need something that is absolutely palatable to everybody. How about uh, the Baltimore Americans? How about mm. the Baltimore apathies? Uh, um, you know, we've... Uh, some of our market research and focus groups have told us that Baltimore is apathetic towards the team already. So we don't want to keep sort of emphasizing that point. But we're good at it. Yes, we are good. We are good at being apathetic. We, we try you know, go hard with at strengths. You know, go with what people know us for. Uh, well, I mean, uh, I'd vote for it, but I just don't really have don't, much interest. I don't in care either. It. I mean, I mean, I'm kind of like, yeah, I could take it or leave it. I mean, it would be, I mean, I don't know if it would be better than Orioles or worse, but I mean, it's an idea. What else? 
I think we, we could throw it in front of a focus group and uh, they can let us know what they think about it. I mean, I've never quite known what Orioles have to do with baseball anyway. Um, okay, folks, thank you for volunteering for this test group. We're just going to throw a couple of things out at you and see how you react. Oh, wait, we're not getting paid? You get I, heard, I heard there was going to be a lunch. You are going to get lunch and you are going to get paid. Okay, um, is it going to be Subway or Blimpies? Well, it's a part of a secret. Uh, you're going to have to get a blind taste test this sandwich. Um, I'm putting out the sandwich in front of each of you, and um, I can't tell you uh, who the brand is. I can't tell you anything about it. But I want you to just take a couple of bites of this sandwich. And as you take, about, uh, take a bite of the sandwich, I want you to ask yourself the following question. Is the sandwich pretty good, acceptable, or not that bad? Um, pretty good, the, acceptable, finished, or not that bad? I finished the first sandwich, and I don't think the sampling was uh, large enough for me to make that determination. Yeah. Is there oh, another yeah. sandwich? I'm going to need three Let's of each it. before I can do the study correctly. This Are we talking about the sandwiches or the Baltimore Orioles? Oh, we are going to be talking about the Baltimore Ball Club. Now we've we've gotten rid of the name Orioles, but but but, but so I want you to think. Consider are you thinking of calling them the Baltimore Sandwiches? Because if you are, that's not if if the sandwich is any indication, it wasn't substantial. That's true. So insubstantial. We, we have a we have insubstantial um, as a as a potential uh, descriptor of the sandwich. Um, not enough. Oh, are you suggesting we call them the Baltimore um, Insubstantials? Because that's a pretty good name. <laughs> no, Baltimore Insubstantials. How, how does the group feel about the Baltimore Insubstantials? Uh, not enough. Okay. Um, <laughs> how about, does anyone feel, uh, have a feeling one way or another or pre preference about the, the Baltimore Yeah. Hmm. Are you spelling that with an apostrophe? It's yeah, it's it's N M apostrophe E H. Yeah. Hmm. I like it because it's a very confusing word to read. <laughs> so it would attract my attention that way, but it might take away from me watching the baseball game as I try to pronounce the word. <laughs> All right, but well, it let's... makes more sense to me than Orioles. Yeah. Um, an Oriole can't even hold a bat. So I've never understood that. But it can land on them. I mean, oh. I, I, I don't care either way. I mean, a lot of people get confused because they think it's a, a sandwich cookie. And they're, they're, they, you know, they want to, they're like, I want the, the, Double stuff kind of the Orioles. Oh. So Oriole is actually the plural of Oreo? That's what wow. many people have been thinking that. And that's why we, you know, we've been, we've had this cease, cease and dismiss. I, I, I'm probably telling you, I'm probably telling you too much as part of this focus group. But yes, there's been a cease and desist letter from the Nabisco company. And apparently we, you know, it, I guess I can just be totally transparent with you folks. We need to choose a different name. And the board feels strongly that it needs to be something that conveys apathy. So maybe we can just discuss words. When you think of Baltimore baseball, um, yeah. you just, like, I'm away first. No, no, no. Did Baltimore baseball bring, uh, you know, uh, does the word apathy mean something to you? The Baltimore apathetics. Wow, it, it, um, it's very close to the Oakland Athletics, but uh, which they are, and we're not. But, uh, uh. What if we just put a series of consonants in a random generator and just came up with the Baltimore button? Oh, Baltimore ballistics. Yeah, I'm sorry. What did you say, sir? Ballistics. Ballistics. Baltimore ballistics. Ballistics. Baltimore ballistics. Yeah. I don't know. Um, I'm going to be saying that the rest of the day. That's another word that I would just stare at for a long time, wondering, like, 
are those words in or is that an anagram for something and again i think i'd probably just miss the game <laughs> that seems to be what a lot of people in baltimore are doing these days but no cut to a hospital room across town <laughs> are you sure mr grimsley's gonna be able to make it today <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to take him away from his busy sports schedule just to visit me. Jimmy, I know I'm your doctor and also your nurse and your father, but yeah, Dad. Mr. Grimsley's Dad. not, and I know <laughs> that you've- This is Dr. Dad. But, and I know that you're very close to death and Make-A-Wish has let you down so many times, but Mr. Mr. Grimsley's not going to be able to make it today because he's, he's in a court of law because- Knock, 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 knock. No, oh, there's hey, someone kid. at the door. Aren't you Jimmy? Yeah, I'm Jimmy. Can you come closer? It's hard to see. My eyes are failing. Grimsley, aren't you supposed to be in a court of law? I ran out of that court when I heard that Jimmy was on his deathbed. Do you oh, think oh, I would let you die? I mean, you're not going to die. Don't you worry, Jimmy. You're not going to die. Not as long but, as I'm here. But, but I just, 40 Mr. Grimsley, please stop touching that equipment. I'm a trained professional and, and a parent. I don't give a damn. Not when his life is on the line. I am here to make him happy. Jimmy, I've never... Let me tell you Mr. Grimsley, Mr. Grimsley, it's such what? an honor to meet you. And you've done so much for me already. I just, I, I can't ask you for more. I just you're can't. the bravest kid I've ever seen. And let me tell you something. You're not going to die in here today. I know this is your sixth heart transplant. But today, you are going to have this final operation and you are gonna be the astronaut you always wanted to be. Oh my God, his blood pressure is improving. His heart rate is improving. His platelet count has Come gone on, up. Jimmy. Come on, Jimmy. Mr. Grimsley. Mr. Grimsley, can you do me a favor? Anything for you, Jimmy. I know you have a big game today. Yes. Can you please throw an 80 mile an hour fastball at a drunken heckler and maybe, maybe take him out in the head or his spleen? Please. You know what, Jimmy? It's gonna be a 90 mile ball straight to the head. And scene. Well, that brings us to the end of this week's legal voyage. And I wanna thank you for joining me, your captain on this earmark edition of Laying Down the Law. I'd like to thank my crew this week, Doug Morency, Jack Mosshammer, Gary Pia, and Pia Smith. And listener, I'd like to thank you for coming along with us. Wherever you are, you're also here while you're there via the magic of Earmark CPE. I'd also like to thank the OG cello performance CPA, Blake Oliver, for building Earmark CPE, the mighty little app that makes learning fun and free. <clears throat> Mostly free, but now you can subscribe. Isn't that right, Blake? That's right, Billy. And speaking of mighty, thank you to the mighty Q, Quentin Feitner for the mighty cover art. Thank you for the opportunity, Billy. And uh, hey, if you listeners want some cool art of your own, you can find me at fightpro.com. Thank you to David Felton for creating the awesome all-original music. And a special thank you to Jeff at Feitner Productions. Hey, that's me. <laughs> yes, Jeff. That is you. Thank you, Jeff, for making a little boy's radio show dreams into a middle-aged man's podcast reality so until next time wait what's this you forgot something what's that i forgot something you say yeah you gotta do the thing you know the thing all right if you want even more of that delicious legal nut butter drenched in comedy chocolate find the full version of this and every amazing episode of laying down the law at fightpro.com or wherever in the metaverse you get your podcasts. That's F-Y-T-E-P-R-O dot com. Fighter Productions is not responsible for the preceding comments related to Nut Butter 
If you or someone you know experiences nausea, third eye blindness, sudden onset euphoria, or have an unrelenting craving for ham, seek help immediately. Laying down the law is protected by the Intergalactic Treaty of Euripides, start 821-821.90. If you'd like a transcript of the show, please send a self-addressed stamped envelope to Colonel Steve Austin, care of the Foundation for Law and Government, 221A Baker Street, Beverly Hills, 90210. Any likeness to real places, persons, or events is absolutely happenstance. We'd never intentionally crib real-life happenings to make a podcast. We're not true crime, after all. It's more likely a situation similar to the chimpanzees, typewriters, and Shakespeare, right? That's what Attorney Steve says, anyway. And if you know what's good for you, you listen to Attorney Steve. I don't argue with Attorney Steve, mostly because he ain't right in the head and quite honestly frightens me a little bit. The last time we went to court, the judge started asking him all kinds of weird questions like, where did you study law and why hasn't the State Bar of California ever heard of you? Then Attorney Steve started doing this weird deep breathing meditation kind of thing and muttering under his breath about a monster truck fight and how the judge ain't got nothing on a 15,000 pound, 2,000 horsepower fire breathing death cage on wheels and then the tail keep running with his taser and honestly, I didn't even ask Attorney Steve to come with me. It was only traffic for God's sake. Besides, I totally parked in the loading truck when I went 